0: Today we're going to talk about letting her go, the ideal biblical woman, and instead embracing the one-of-a-kind, never-to-be-seen-again-in-history self. Yeah, that's what we're talking about today. Welcome to the Jackie Always Unplugged podcast, where we're having off-the-record conversations. I'm Reverend Dr. Jackie Reese, founder and president of the Marcello Project. As a pastor, preacher, and thought leader, I've walked with women of faith for decades and had thousands of conversations about what women encounter solely because they are women. At work, family, their faith, with relationships, sex, the church, their bodies, and Jesus. On this podcast, we're gonna be asking hard questions dealing with real issues and revisiting scripture with a new lens. These conversations are gonna put words to your female experience. They're gonna ennoble you as Jesus intended, and encourage you to bring your full self to the table. It's here we're going to reshape our view. Welcome back. In our first episode, I talked about how I see my mom as a light pink woman. And I also said that she's probably one of the most influential women in my life. She raised us five kids, kept an immaculate home, and I'm telling you, she worked her fingers to the bone. She stayed with my dad for 40 difficult years, loving him when he didn't deserve to be loved. And with all that she shouldered, I got to tell you, I rarely heard her complain or speak negatively, raise her voice in anger. My mom is an introvert. I mean, sometimes she speaks so softly that you have to lean in to hear what she's saying. And she creates beauty wherever she goes, whether it's through a flower arrangement, or setting a table, or cooking a beautiful meal. I love my mom, and I'm nothing like her. And what's amazing is she never tried to make me conform to her image, to what she thought a woman was supposed to be like. And I've talked with many women over the years, and I know that that's very unusual. Many of you have had moms who insisted you be like her. I I just never had that experience. And that might be why I I felt something was off when I moved into the conservative evangelical world. Because there there is communicated, there's spoken and unspoken words or unspoken messages. It's communicated that there's a particular ideal woman. And you you start to learn about her. Like I learned about her Uh, When I raised my assertive voice and I got a kind of a a look like, what is that? Or when I read um, that the women's events were all offered during the middle of the day at the church. And I thought, well, I mean, a lot of women work outside the home during the day. Or when I heard a pastor say, and I'm not kidding, these words from the pulpit, a woman's highest calling is mothering. I learned about it when I read some theologians' work that stated that God had a specific design for men and a specific design for women. She's very nurturing and delicate, and he is strong and intellectual. It took me a little while to figure out what I was bumping up against, and then to put words to it, and then to go back to Jesus and say, is this true? Is there this particular way in which you made me? And what do I do with the fact that I don't seem to fit it. Turns out, what I learned from Jesus is that what's being promoted as an ideal woman, this ideal biblical woman, isn't biblical at all. And today I want to take us back and set us on a new foundation. Take us back to some scriptures to help us learn that we don't need to be like her. In fact, we need to lean into being our one-of-a-kind, never-to-be-seen-again-in-history self. And I want to start in the beginning, where God begins, Genesis 1, 26 through 28, where God says, let us make humans in our image, male and female. Image has all kinds of connotations to it, but let me just say this. It means to reflect and mirror. And in the last episode, I argued that we have to, reflect and image God in a bazillion different ways, because God is enormous. We can't exhaust all of who he is. And if we were to think of God as color, he'd be every color there is, and every shade of color, and colors we haven't even seen yet. And when he created you, he splashed a hue of color in you, an aspect of who he is that oozes out of you in ways that it doesn't in others. You image God in ways that I don't and I image God in ways that you don't. C.S. Lewis says it like this. Each person is created to see a different facet of God's beauty, something that no one else can see in quite the same way, and then to bless all worshipers through all eternity with the aspect of God they could not otherwise see. C.S. Lewis is basically just saying what Ephesians 2.10 says, which is where God declares that we are his masterpiece. I know you've heard that before, right? But have you ever paused to think about what what does it mean to be a masterpiece? A masterpiece is the most outstanding piece of work of a creative artist. This is what God says about you. It's what he says about me. And if I take that personally, which is God's intention, he's not just talking about humanity at large, but about each of us as individual masterpieces. If I take that seriously, then I have to embrace that my being short and a curvy 5'2 female with a curly mane is God's artistic achievement. I have to celebrate that my being an extrovert with the spiritual gifts of teaching and exhortation is his outstanding artistry. I have to be grateful that my personality, an ENFJ protagonist, and my being born from an Anglo-Saxon descent displays to the world God's extraordinary skills in design. See, my talents, my quirks, even my flaws are all God's craftsmanship on exhibit, and so are yours. This is why I say, you are a one-of-a-kind, never-to-be-seen-again-in-history image-bearer. And this is what David is acknowledging in Psalm 139, I know, I know. You're rolling your eyes at me. I can see you. Your mom has said that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, and you've heard it in the Sunday school classes, and you're yawning, right? You think that you have have heard it all. There's nothing more to be said about Psalm 139. But uh, I'm here to tell you there is. Because if you didn't wake up this morning and stand in front of a full-length mirror, buck naked, and proclaim... Boldly, whoa, check me out! Then you haven't truly heard or understood what David was saying in Psalm 139. I'd like to unfold that a little bit for you and for me, so that we can embrace being our one of a kind never to be seen again in history self. David starts Psalm 139 by saying, "O oh Lord, all capital letters, and I have to stop there because that word, "O oh, Lord, is really significant. It's the same as what we see in Exodus 3.14. It's where God names himself when he meets Moses at the burning bush. God told Moses, go get my people out of Egypt. Now, this was not going to be an easy feat. I can just imagine Moses going, um, Pharaoh happens to be the most powerful man in the world. And you want me to just go right in there and say, hey, I'm taking your whole labor force away? And I don't know if you know this, God, but the Israelites, remember, they weren't too excited about my leadership. So if I do this, when I get there, like, who do I say sent me? And then God says, he reveals his name. I am, all capital letters. I am. Very helpful, don't you think? (laughs) If I were Moses, I'd be going, dude, I'm going to need a little more than that. Theologians have written volumes over the meaning of this name. But in essence, it's God saying this. I am that I am. I am and always have been. I am creator, and I love this one. I cause. I am self-existent. I am self-sufficient. I am the eternal king. And here again in that I am, O oh Lord, we see that God is really, really big. And so David starts in with the I am. That's the word, right? I am. And then for the next, like, 12 verses, he talks about all of who God is, that he's all-knowing, right, and that he's always present. In the middle of pondering about who God is, David, like, is so blown away that he stops for a moment in verse 6 and says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. And I want to stop here for just a moment because I wonder if this is how we begin. Embracing our one-of-a-kind, never-to-be-seen-again-in-history selves. If it begins with God. Not in letting our church decide, or our family decide, or society decide, or even ourselves to decide who we are. But God. We start with God. Just, Just take some time and ponder the fact that he knows you inside and out. He made you. He knows your path. He chose it. He's with you on it. This all-knowing, all-seeing, ever-present God knows us, sees us, and is with us. And the scripture tells us he even likes us. Zephaniah 3.17 says that God sings songs over us and that his love will quiet us. Think about that. Does his love quiet you? I wonder how settled we'd be if we could just simply breathe in that truth. So now in verse 13, David does this amazing thing. See, up to this point, he's been celebrating, pondering, noodling, thinking lofty things about who God is. And I picture him, David. He's a Middle Eastern kid with curly hair, I think. Only because I've been to Israel a lot and they have a lot of curly haired people there and I feel so at home. So, David, being Jewish, is most likely got curly hair. We've got no proof of that in scripture, but I'm sticking with it for now. David, curly haired shepherd boy, lying out underneath the stars. Remember when you did that as a kid? There he is. He's just reflecting upon God through creation. Can't you see it? Because David wrote so many Psalms about it, about thinking about God through creation. Psalms like Psalm 89.5 that says, the heaven praises your wonder, O Lord. And Psalm 19.1 where he says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of your hands. What's interesting is we're so used to hearing David link the glory of God, right? His beauty, character, and infinite worth with, with nature, the sky, the heavens, the stars. And we do the same thing, don't we? But hold on. Because that's what David is, is like and is doing. And, and then in verse 13 and 14, he turns his eyes toward himself, his body, his personality, all that makes him who he is. Yes, even the quirky, weird parts. And when I say that, I'm not saying, hey, you get to walk around and just go, oh, well, that's just how I am. You know, we don't get to dominate others in the boardroom or slander someone And the reason I know that is because it's not how Jesus rolls, right? So if Jesus isn't doing it, we're not going to be doing it. What I'm saying is being unapologetically who we are controlled by the Spirit. When David said, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, what he's basically doing is standing there naked saying, whoa, check me out. Yeah, it's huge. Can I ask you? Why is it so easy for you, and me, quite frankly, to give credit and praise when we like go to the Caribbean Ocean, and there we are, and it's just, we're in awe, right? Or at the Great Lakes up in the Michigan area, or the Colorado Mountains. Why is it so easy for us when we are standing there to be awed over God's creation? Wow, we don't even have words to describe what we're experiencing, and yet, when God made us the apex of creation, we can't say the same about ourselves, right? And partly the reason is because we've re, re, like received these messages, spoken and unspoken, that we need to be something other than who we are, some ideal. But God's saying, no, 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 be you. Be the color I have splashed upon you and no other. You are a marvelous, one-of-a-kind, never-to-be-seen-again-in-history, image-bearer. If you want to dig more into that idea of what makes you unique, how you are a a one-of-a-kind, we have provided some tools for you on our website. Just go on over to themarcellaproject.com. You'll see them there. These things to help us learn to live into our own color. You know what? When we do that, it brings freedom, and that's what Jesus wants for us. I, I know this sounds a little lofty, almost like it's pop Christianity, like, hey, just be so okay with yourself. But what I want you to know is I'm very serious about this. This idea of embracing who we are and living it out fully, it's serious business. It's not only serious, but it's actually pretty personal for me. And what do I mean by this? Well, I'm 54. And I've learned, like some of you, that life is both wonderful and hard. And in 1 Corinthians 9.24, Paul tells us we're to run our race to win the prize. But what I have learned as I've gone along is that I can't win that prize if I run it alone. I've learned I actually need you. I need you to be who you are. And you need me too. You show me something about God that I desperately need to see. No, (laughs) it's not quite encompassing it. I don't know how to say it. I don't need to just see it. I don't need to just see that aspect of God in you. I actually need to experience that aspect of God. Let me tell you what I mean by that. When my son Hampton, my middle son, was 14, we sent him away to an all-boys military school in Virginia. And I will never forget driving out of that driveway. And there is Hampton, who now, at 28 years old, stands at 5'7 and 140 pounds. So you can imagine how little he was at 14. And I just looked in the rearview mirror, and there is my son, this tiny boy, standing next to this huge 18-year-old football player. And for the next year, I would walk down the hallway of my house, past his empty bedroom at night, and wonder if he was okay. We all know what can happen to a young boy at an all-boys military school, right? And that year, that year I needed to see, no, I needed to experience like never before that God is our protector. And here's what I want you to know. Some of you exude that hue of God in ways that others can't. And at times, we each desperately need to see that in you. And then there was this time in my mid-30s where I found myself struggling with depression. I'd never experienced it before growing up, and suddenly there was this little black cloud around, it took me a while to even figure out, oh, I'm depressed. And it just so happened that I was struggling with this during a time where I'd been hired by a church to come teach on the book of Phile- uh, Philippians, and the, the subtitle was How to Have Joy in Difficult Circumstances. It's very humorous now, but it wasn't so funny back then. And it was during that season that I needed to see, experience, Jesus' unconditional love. That his love for me wasn't dependent on how much I did or didn't produce. Man, how much do we need that? I needed to see that regardless of whether I ever got off the couch, God's love simply is. And here's what I have to tell you. Some of you, you Lose God's unconditional love out, unlike most others, and we so desperately need to see it, experience His unconditional love through you. In my later years, my dad became mentally unstable. A switch went off, and he turned manic. He had a vision of killing my sister on her wedding day. My sister's wedding was an outdoor wedding, and we had a bodyguard on duty. I was the matron of honor, and my husband Steve was the person officiating the wedding. And I remember standing there next to my sister thinking, okay, Dad, if you're out there, be a good shot. Be sure you hit your intended target. How is that for sick, right? This is what happens when we find ourselves in unthinkable situations. We have these weird responses. During those volatile years where my family endured such uncertainty, I needed to experience God's comfort and dependability. You know, some of you exude God's dependability. Sun up, sun down, sun up, sun down. Some of you exude his dependability and comfort, and we desperately need that aspect of God to spill out of you. Here's what I want to say to you. I'm saying it to myself, too. Sister, we can no longer afford to have you waddling around in a lack of confidence in who God made you to be. We, the body of Christ, are less when you hold back. The world desperately needs to see the aspect of Jesus that only you can give off. I need to see what you you ooze out, which means each of us, if we are going to finish well, need to embrace our own color, to be emboldened, to fully participate in as wonderfully made image bearers. Yeah. The thing that we've been taught about the ideal woman, the ideal biblical woman, turns out it's just not biblical at all. Instead, what God has called us to is to be a a one-of-a-kind and never to be seen again in history image bearer time we start living that way I want to end this episode with um with something this great Danish philosopher and theologian Kierkegaard said I just love it I hope you'll hold on to it and be saying it all week long and here is what he said and now Lord with your help I shall become myself Hey, if you've enjoyed this conversation, then hop on over to themarcellaproject.com and sign up for our email or check out some of our other resources. You can also find me on the Marcella Project Facebook page or on every other platform of social media as Jackie Reese, R-O-E-S-E. Have a great day.